Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to be the program director for Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 38 of The Bridge. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. I'm very excited to be bringing to you show number two on Sports Radio America. Last week, in case you missed it, we did a best of the bridge just to give listeners a better idea of some of the different things they'll be hearing by listening to the show each week. If you missed that show, you'll be able to find it on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. Since this show comes to you live every Wednesday night, the original recording will be broadcast live on Sports Radio America. Once the dust settles on that, the show can then be found on my website or on iTunes on Friday nights starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So since this is the second show, I had to bring out the big guns and at least give you guys the impression that I sort of know what I'm doing with this show. Before we get into that, I wanted to run some housekeeping items by you and ways you can interact and listen to the show. If you're listening live at SportsRadioAmerica.com, you can call into the new fan call-in line at 888-444-0570. That's 888-444-0570. You can also call in or text into the show at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Feel free to contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you might just be featured in next week's show. You can also subscribe to the Bridge Sportscast on iTunes, as I mentioned before. You'll then be notified when the latest show hits the airwaves on Friday nights. You can also find all previous episodes at my website at londonbridge.com, and you can follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at londonbridge. You can also subscribe to the Bridge newsletter by visiting londonbridge.com email. That will provide you with weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show and who the featured guests might be for that week. Now that that's taken care of, the fun can begin. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Tom Brady was forced to spend week one of the NFL season on Sunday at home while serving his four-game suspension for possibly knowing information about the air pressure in footballs. However, his presence was still felt in Arizona when the Patriots took on the Cardinals as nine-point underdogs. 
A gentleman deemed fake Tom Brady was seen walking around the confines of the stadium before the game, wearing a Vacatriots t-shirt and bearing an incredible resemblance to the two-time MVP Brady because of a facial mask. The stunt was the brainchild of Bleacher Report, specifically Dan Worthington, a senior manager of Social Moments, who was said to be the man behind the mask. The Brady look-alike certainly caused enough second glances, but also must have provided the Pats with a little bit of luck, as New England benefited from a missed field goal to win the game 23-21. Fake Brady might have looked like the real-life dreamboat, but his home life might be far different than that of Touchdown Tom's. I'd like to think Fake Brady lives a simple life, working as a groundskeeper for his local high school, while also serving as a volunteer equipment coach for the local high school football team. Fake Brady is always up for staying late after practices to have a catch, and also tell stories from his former playing days as a third-string snap holder in the now-defunct USFL. He married his high school sweetheart, but his wife is now a degenerate online gambler who continues to spend their life savings thinking that she definitely has the best daily lineup on DraftKings. But fake Tom Brady's wife did give him two beautiful children. When they had a son, fake Tom Brady picked the name of a winner and named his boy Eli. When they had a daughter, fake Tom Brady's wife named her Des Nuts, after her fantasy football team that won the championship in that same year. Thankfully, fake Brady simply calls her D. Bleacher Report has said that you never know where you'll see fake Tom Brady next. If one thing is for certain, the real New England Patriots can't wait to see the real Tom Brady back on the football field. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Ah, fake Brady. If you check out the hashtag fake Brady on Twitter, there are some very humorous pictures of some of the antics that fake Brady was up to on Sunday. Several media news outlets have also done some interviews to try and tell the story of the phenomenon of fake Brady. And we'll have to keep our eyes peeled this upcoming Sunday to see where he might be next. Let's take a quick break. Make sure our sponsors get paid. When we come back, we'll introduce some new segments to The Bridge and let you in on who this week's guest will be later in the show. We'll be right back on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Now, as I said, several new segments are about to be introduced. I'm very excited about them, and you should be seeing them each and every week, depending on how things go in the sports world. Let's get things started with a segment I didn't necessarily think I would debut this week, but it just felt right. The city of Los Angeles was incredibly excited for the Rams to return back home, but unfortunately Jeff Fisher's Rams were blown off the field in the season opener on Monday night, losing to the San Francisco 49ers 28 to nothing. 
That's right. The Los Angeles Rams were unable to even score one point in their first game back in the National Football League since 1994. Since the Los Angeles Rams last won a professional football game more than two decades ago, a lot has happened in the world of sports. And to just give you an idea of how much things have changed since the LA Rams have last won a football game, I wanted to run down a quick list of the teams that have won since the last time the LA Rams have won a game, though those organizations no longer exist. Let's get into that in this week's segment of The Drawbridge, where we draw conclusions from what's happened throughout the week. Teams no longer in existence that have won a professional game since the last time the LA Rams did so. The Montreal Expos, the Anaheim Angels, the Washington Bullets, the Vancouver Grizzlies, the Charlotte Hornets, I mean the New Orleans Hornets, the Seattle Supersonics, the Los Angeles Raiders, the Houston, I mean Memphis, I mean Tennessee Oilers, the Winnipeg Jets, the Hartford Whalers a favorite team in the bro snapback community. Then there's the teams that weren't even in existence in 1994 that have won professional games since the last time the LA Rams have. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and the Tampa Bay Rays. The Washington Nationals, the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Carolina Panthers. The Cleveland Browns, part two. The Brooklyn Nets, the Washington Wizards, the Toronto Raptors, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Nashville Predators, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Minnesota Wild, and the entire damn WNBA franchise. Those are just some of the few, and you get the idea. The Cowboys have won a Super Bowl since the LA Rams last won a game. Tim Tebow has won a playoff game in that time. The city of Cleveland has won a championship since the last time the LA Rams have won a professional football game. Moving right along, another segment making its debut on the bridge has to deal with some of the different players that we see in the sports world. You'll often turn on a game, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, or hockey, look at what teams are playing, and be unable to identify some of the players who might be on the court or the ice or the fields. While there are several superstars that play in professional sports, we know that there are also several dogs. And to draw attention to those lesser-known players, here's a new segment on the bridge entitled, Wait, Who? 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 The Denver Broncos opened up their season last Thursday with a rematch of Super Bowl 50 against the Carolina Panthers. After riding the washed-up arm of Peyton Manning for the franchise's third championship, and the Sheriff rode off into the sunset, the Broncos entered the season with a question mark at the quarterback position. 
who would be the next player to take the reins of the franchise. Enter. Trevor Simeon. Wait. Who? Trevor was drafted in the seventh round by the Broncos in 2015 and was the last QB taken in the draft. His numbers in four combined years with the Wildcats are comparable to what a star quarterback could do in just one season. In fact, he was so unsure of himself getting drafted, that he was preparing for a career in commercial real estate. Trevor was pegged as Denver's third-string quarterback in 2015. He made his NFL debut on December 20th against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a kneel down to end the first half, and was the only action he would see in a game that season. To make matters worse, the Broncos lost his debut game, 34-27. But this year has given Trevor a chance to prove himself. After Brock Osweiler left for more money in Houston, the Denver QB job was up for grabs. Simeon was able to win the job from Mark, but fumble, Sanchez, and was given the keys to the Broncos. Against the Panthers, Trevor finished 18 of 26 with one touchdown pass and two interceptions. It was just enough, as the Broncos edged out the 21-20 victory. He didn't necessarily dazzle, but he also didn't disappoint. The Denver defense has proved good enough to allow Simeon some wiggle room. But if the first-year starter can remain poised, the Broncos might just end up okay. And yay, who has more Super Bowl rings than you? Trevor Simeon, that's who. A special thanks to Sharon for helping me read this week's segment of Wait, Who? Let's take a quick break and pay our sponsors. When we come back, we will talk with Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio program director, Steve Torrey. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. We're back with our interview with this week's guest, Steve Torrey of Mad Dog Sports Radio. He is the program director for the station on Sirius XM. He's done a lot of things in the radio industry before ending up with satellite radio. He got his start in high school doing some broadcasting and different things that were available to him then, working his way up to a small radio station, and then eventually ending up at 1010 Winds in New York City, where he worked for almost two decades before starting to get involved with satellite radio and eventually coming over to Mad Dog Sports Radio when the station was formed in 2000. He does the updates for Chris Mad Dog Russo's show, Mad Dog Unleashed. He also hosts the show immediately following called Dog Bites, which is a one-hour recap of Doggy Show, as well as some of Steve's thoughts and some phone calls from listeners. Steve was kind enough to tell us a little bit about his radio career, some of the different things that he does at the station, and also give his take on one of Mad Dog's most infamous rants from 2009 when Steve was fired on air and ended up on the Howard Stern Show because of it. Again, it was a pleasure to speak to him about some of the different things that he's up to. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. I'm here with Steve Torrey. He is the program director of Mad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM, and he's kind enough to join me today. Sir, how are you? John, great to be with you. How's things? 
Doing very well. Trying to stay busy. I know you're on vacation right now, so I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. One of the first things I wanted to get out of the way right off the bat, one of the hard-hitting questions, are you related to Joe Torre? Uh, I actually am, but it, it is very distant. It's not like we um, exchange Christmas cards or go to the same weddings. Uh, but the fact is that my grandfather and Joe's father were first cousins. So uh, he knows he actually knows me more for what I do uh, for a living professionally than he does for uh, <laughs> being related to him. So, but uh, we get, when I do see him or we do have him in studio with Mad Dog or whatever, he does joke around and always say, uh, "We're related, aren't we?" You know, but it's it's one of those real distant relationships. Right. Well, at least we got that cleared up. So now people know that there is kind of a relation, but you're more professional related than you are family related. That's correct. So before we get into life at Mad Dog Sports Radio, I wanted to turn back the clock a little bit with you. If one were to search for your biography, they're really only going to find maybe two or three sentences on some of the different things you've done for your career. So I'm hopeful to expand on that a little bit. I wanted to sure. start by asking for a brief rundown of how you really fell in love with sports radio. Well, you know, to be honest with you... Um I actually had a love for, you know, not so much sports radio, but just radio itself or any means of broadcast at, at honestly, at a very young age. Right. I mean, I was actively involved in sports like most kids, you know, play a lot, you know, baseball, uh, you know, most of my childhood and into my early adult life, you know, almost played in college a little bit, but decided not to, and not that I was anything extraordinary. Uh, but, you know, I was a decent player, but I, you know, I loved all sports as a kid. My father introduced me to them, uh, to, to it, obviously. And um, I once I realized, uh, you know, that I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player, which, uh, you know, the reality set in pretty early, you know, I, I basically um, wanted to be involved with sports in some capacity. So I honestly started getting involved with, um, you know, doing some form of announcing when I was actually in high school. I mean, I played on a high school baseball team, basketball, and that kind of thing, but I um, got involved with uh, announcing in high school, basically with, uh, you know, like the, the the weekday morning announcements where they would uh, do the Pledge of Allegiance, and I sort of parlayed that into uh, announcing when the Drama Club was meeting, and then I turned that into basically a, a daily sportscast my senior year in high school on the intercom system, and it turned into this whole big thing. And then I used to host the you know the bonfires and uh, do the PA announcing at the games. Uh, you know I was playing in baseball, so I couldn't do that, but um, but you know that kind of stuff which got me involved. And uh, once I got into college, I worked at the college radio station and. Then, um, and then my career sort of picked up from there. And I know that eventually would lead to you working with 1010 Wins in New York City, probably around 1989. How did you end up getting into that position? And what were some of your job descriptions and some of the things you were up to when you first started with them? Well, you know, there was, there was a road that led to 1010 Wins in New York. I mean, I mentioned I, I, went, to, I went to college at CW Post, which is part of Long Island University. They had a tremendous radio station going back to, you know, 1982 when I got there as a freshman, fall of 82. And uh, a really good radio station back then with great facilities. Uh, and it wasn't just heard on the campus. It was kind of heard in about a 50-mile radius. And, and, you know, you did a play-by-play for all the, the school teams. They had a weeknight sports talk show or a weekend sports talk show. 
And then I worked at a place called uh, Sports Phone, which is since now defunct and long gone, but at, in the 80s was a very popular method for ways to get scores and stories because it was before the age of computers, before ESPN really blew up. Uh, you know, you didn't have obviously the social media that you have now, the immediacy of everything. So it was uh, a 976 number where you could get scores in 59 seconds. It was very popular with people that gambled. Uh, you happened to be, uh, your voice and your name would be recognized by so many people because it was a really popular source to get uh, sports information, specifically scores. So right. I was doing that when I was in college. I was an announcer for that. And, you know, you were heard in the New York market, but they had other markets as well. And, uh, it, you know, the part of the job description there, even though it was part-time, um, and, you know, you're getting you know, minimum wage basically in college, which was fine because you're getting experience and you're getting paid for it. But they used to send you out to cover games, so you got to meet people in the profession. And that was a real good way to sort of advance your career. You know, after my senior year of college, I, I kind of was focusing a lot on play-by-play. -play. I wanted to do a lot of play-by-play. -play. I did that primarily in college, basketball, football, everything, baseball, lacrosse. Um, and I sent blind tapes out all over the country, sent out some tapes to, uh, some specific places that were looking for jobs. I got about four offers my, you know, that summer after my senior year, some of them for really, really low wages. Uh, but I found the, um, the perfect package, um, of play-by-play -play sports reporting in, uh, in Vermont. And that's where it was, that was my first professional, um, you know, paying job in the radio industry outside of sports phone, which I previously mentioned. So, you know, I, I got my, it was a good place to sort of make, make some mistakes and learn the business, you know, at a very small town, about uh, 50 miles North of Brattleboro in Vermont. And, you know, you did a lot of high, you did a lot of high school games and, you know, you really sort of paid your dues. Right. And that, that's really what sort of got me going. After that, uh, I left for about a year, after one year, the, the station was sold and I was looking for work, and I went back to Sports Phone as a full-time employee there. And after about four or five months, I got a weekend gig at a local station uh, north of New York City, WFAS, not FAN, <laughs> but FAS, which was about a mile from where I grew up. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to do some play-by-play -play there, some sports updates. Uh, they, you know, after a while, I got a full, they made me the sports director. And from there, I got a weekend gig at 1010 Wins, and then that about a year later parlayed into Morning Drive, and I held that position and was sports director for 18 years. So it's a long, drawn-out story, but, you know, it, it was that path that they tell you to do when you're first starting to get in the industry to find a, find a small market to start really fine-tuning your skills and, uh, you know, sort of a place where you can make mistakes and nobody will hear you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Even though they were pretty passionate, they had a lot of people that, you know, followed high school sports because nothing much to do in some of these towns. They don't have a pro sports team to follow. So it was a really good way to sort of, uh, you know, get the career going. Before I hit on 10-10 wins once more, do you yes. remember what your opening line was when you were doing Sports Phone? Um, what the first words that came out of my mouth... I think it was something to the effect of uh, Steve Torrey for Sports Phone were back next at whatever time. So, in other words, you updated it every 10 minutes, I think. Right. So, if I if I did it at uh, 7.02, I would say, you know, this is Steve Torrey for Sports Phone. We're back next at 9.10. And, that's, and then you just started reading the scores. <laughs> I had a feeling you probably said that more than enough times, so it would come yeah. back pretty quickly for you, even though it's been a while. So... You get your foot in the door in 10-10 wins, and that's going into the late 80s. Another 
semi-famous, I guess you would say, radio show was also being formed at WFAN. Mike and the Mad Dog were in their infancy stages in 89 as well. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell the listeners what the relationship was like between Wins and WFAN in New York City? Were you guys rivals? Was that something that kind of grew as the popularity of Mad Dog and Mike Francesa did as well? What was that relationship like for you guys being local stations in New York City? Yeah, well, you know, there wasn't really a rivalry, so to speak, because 1010 Wins was an all-news format. And, uh, right. you know, they had, a pre- they had a pretty big commitment to sports, but there was no, you know, it was really round-the-clock news. And, you know, you had small-form sports updates twice an hour, and they still do, at 15 and 45, where, you know, you just do a two, two-and-a-half-minute pop of what's going on, just right. a strict sports update. But, you know, eventually um, – you know, we cover. We basically started covering all the, the sports teams if they would go out on the road for the playoffs, and that was primarily my job too, which was nice. Uh, you know, I would go out on the road with the Yankees when they were, you know, going deep into the playoffs all those years in the '90s. You know, the Knicks and the Rangers in '94 when they were both uh, going for championships. You know, the surrounding teams too, the Devils when they had a couple of Stanley Cup runs, obviously uh, local, but you know, St. John's for college basketball. So that stuff was a great opportunity just to get out out on the road and. Um, and you know, report from the site from a remote broadcast, which was which was good. But you know, head to head with FAN, we really didn't have a rivalry. I mean, there was always a rivalry because you're all fighting for ratings and revenue and that kind of thing. But in terms of programming, I don't think FAN viewed us as a as a big threat. You know what I mean? Because right. we had we had an all new station in WCBS, which was in the same market. You know what I mean? And eventually owned by the same company. So and we went we went head to head with them. They were more considered our rivals than FAN was at the time. So fast forwarding to Mad Dog Radio, which forms with Sirius and XM Satellite Radio in 2008, you're approaching almost two decades working at Wins at that point. How were you approached to become the now program director of Mad Dog Radio and leave your position there to join up with them in Satellite Radio? Well, you know, I was working for Sirius uh, before they merged with Sirius with XM to become Sirius XM, the big monster that it is now, uh, as a freelance talent. Um, before I came over here full time to also program the, the the new channel here, so I was, uh, you know, I was Steve Collins, the senior VP of sports programming here at SiriusXM, was um, in charge of the NFL channel, uh, really in its infant stages back right. in 2003, 2004. And Steve had called me and said, look, he said, uh, you know, we're not starting yet, but, you know, in about six months, we're going to be doing some stuff. We're, we're going to have like a 24-7 NFL channel. Uh, but I, well, I have given clear, I've been given clearance to cover the NFL draft first as sort of like a, a kickoff. And I'd love you to do the updates. You know, so I knew Steve for a while. He had worked at, F- at WFAN. So, and, you know, he, he was familiar with my work. So um, I said, all right, well, I'm going to have to get approval from Wins, And they, they allowed me to do it. And uh, so Steve actually hosted it with uh, Phil Sims and Gil Brandt. And I did the updates. This is the, so I think I was actually one of the first voices on NFL radio before they started 24-7. When that uh, assignment ended, Steve had called me about three or four months later. He said, look, I'm going to have a show on Sundays. We're going to call it the Sunday Drive. And basically what it's going to be is, and it was, it was sort of a, I don't want to say a ripoff, but FAN had done a show with Steve Levy, who's now at ESPN, and Ed Coleman, who's been covering the Mets for years. I think they call it the NFL in action, where they would, you know, they would have reporters at every game during the during the Sunday during the games on Sunday, and they would go out to every uh, 
reporter and they'd get updates and it was a sort of a fast paced way to, to uh, get updated on what was going on in the NFL that particular day. So Steve uh, had an idea to do something like that on Sirius XM NFL radio, but with the advantage of having the rights to all the games because Sirius XM landed the NFL um, channel and they had an NFL package. So they were doing all the games. So the Sunday drive would be not only going to reporters, but going to live play-by-play at any key moment, right? And offered and offered me that job to to host that show, an eight-hour monster. And I was like, wow! I said I would be totally into that because that was kind of my thing. So I went to Wins and they allowed me to do it after some uh, you know difficult. But they, I, Wins was great. I mean, they allowed me to do freelance work at the time on top of what I was doing there, running the sports department and being the morning drive sports anchor, which was great. I mean, not only financially, but just to get me more exposure and they didn't have to do that. I mean, they could have really been sticklers and said, you know, screw you. You know, that that's just the way it goes, right. but they allowed me to do it. And, um, so I hosted that show, uh, on serious, uh, NFL radio and I have been doing it ever since. I'm about to start my, let's see, we start, I think it's my 12th or 13th year. I'd have to do the math, but, um, and it's something I, uh, I'm proud of because, you know, it, it takes a while to sort of really perfect it. But, you know, we've done a really good job with that. And uh, it's uh, I, I get a lot of compliments, not so much for my performance alone, but how we as a group have produced that show. And, you know, it's a way where you can get in the car and in 10, 12 minutes get caught up on what's going on in the NFL. And, and uh and it's 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 a great format. And I love doing it. So it, it's it's been fun. And so so anyway, I'm I've been going off here. On, you know, I guess hopefully not boring speech here, John. But you know, you were asking me about how I got. So so the people here at SiriusXM were aware of what I could do. I also was host. I also hosted a college basketball show with the late Jerry Tarkini and the former uh, coach of UNLV called the Shark Tank. So he and I did that show together where we do some live shows at the Final Four every year. But you know, we would do it once a week during the course of the season. So I had been. They were familiar with what I could do on the air here. So this transition was smooth for me to come over. And really, I wouldn't be doing the program director stuff if it wasn't for Mad Dog himself, because you know he and I had a relationship for a long time. We were friends uh, for many years um, before we even got to uh, our jobs in radio in New York. He was Before he got to FAN, he was at WMCA in New York, and I was at that station, which I mentioned previously, WFAS. And you know, we would cover Nick games together, and we sort of met there uh, just covering a Nick game once. And so we established a relationship over a long haul. We had this hope that someday we could work together. And so when the whole uh, thing sort of came to fruition that he was going to leave FAN and come over here to start a network with his brand and his name attached to it, he's like, I'm bringing you over. Uh, and it really was, it didn't really take a lot of convincing with the folks here at Sirius XM because they were, they were aware of me. Right. The one thing I did have to prove myself was, uh, can I program a channel? Because I was, I was working in management as a sports director and wins, but it really paled in comparison in terms of what my day-to-day responsibilities were. And that was a big adjustment for me, which we can get into as we move along here. So now we know why Chris kind of busts you a little bit about not hearing a certain thing on the Sunday Drive show, because that was where oh, yeah. you first got your start. Correct. It all comes together. See, see, we're, we're breaking through windows and glass and ceilings here and, and getting to the bottom of some of the different things you've been up to. As far as the program directing part is concerned, I know the station has evolved through scheduling and through different types of hosts as the years have gone on. What are some of the things that you look for when you're bringing somebody in? And as the station stands now, how much impact have you had on the current schedule of what we get to listen to every day? Well, good questions. I mean, you know, I think... It's funny because my philosophy has really changed uh, a lot 
not so much in what you're looking for for an individual talent-wise, but just how things are structured. You know, I think when we walked in here eight years ago, and Mad Dog and I still sort of uh, battle a little bit over philosophies, um, but, you know, Chris was more in control of what was happening at the beginning. He was sort of in charge, not so much day-to-day with everything, but had final approval on things, and he, he was going to be doing a lot of the hiring of the talent, and, you know, for whatever, it just, it, he wasn't really cut out for that, as we found out, and it's no knock on him, but, you know, as his agent has said, Sandy Montag, Chris is born to talk. He's not a born executive, and it just, you know, so we basically, after the first contract, after that first uh, five-year deal had expired, you know, it was, we realized that as a group here, that it would just be better if he concentrated on his on air stuff. And so my responsibilities actually grew after that, but you know, he needed, he needed me really at the beginning too, to just sort of keep everything together. So, um, you know, it was, um, it was a little bit of a difficult transition, but you know, to answer your, your original question, you know, I think we kind of thought that you know you have to do things this way, like there was a blueprint of, of sports talk radio, and then when we realized that at SiriusXM you can do different things and you have the freedom and the platform to kind of be edgy and 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 uh, and really take some chances and not really be your vanilla regular politically correct type pro- programming that you can do some different things so what i look for i mean i look for someone that a can be a great entertainer somebody that's got tons of energy someone that's got personality someone obviously that's prepared somebody that's knowledgeable um someone that you know can basically be level-headed which is not easy in this business um you know everybody's got an ego john you know so you got to deal with a lot of different personalities and uh it that can be challenging but um so i mean but but i think that's it in a nutshell about what you're looking for talent-wise um, from people and, you know, do they have a presence? Um, do they have a following? You know what I mean? All those things come into play. So going back to when Chris had that quote unquote power in the early goings, July 9th, 2009, a date you probably remember just for the things that have been written about it. Chris probably had his most famous rant up until that point on the station because the station was ranked outside the top 100 and he basically went on a pretty epic rant and called the staff that he assembled incompetent. The young hosts he hired were not, quote, little mad dogs, but little bow wows. He also compared the staff to the Washington Nationals, but then corrected that to the worse off Washington Generals. And then... You were fired. You were eliminated, to quote what he said. What happened with that story? Because I know a lot of people go back to that because that's one of the original first times he really kind of went off on air. And I think a lot of people might think he was 100% serious with everything that happened there and that you were actually fired. So I just wanted to get your thoughts and the after effects of it. Yeah, well, it's obvious you've done your homework. You're very, very impressive. Well, yeah, I mean, here, look, there's a lot. People should know. I, I don't think they still do 100%, but a lot of what Chris does is, you know, the shtick. Right. Um, you know, he's there. There's sometimes, you know, when he's goofing around, there's maybe a shred of truth, but I want to. I'm talking very little, um, you know, when he, when he goes on these sort of things, but it's sort of developed. I don't think he intended and walked in and said, you know, I think I want to stir the pot today. He was just kind of joking around like he always does. I actually around that time had scheduled two days off. And I think the whole thing started where, uh, you know, somebody 
didn't show up for a, an update shift, or the, or maybe we, I screwed the schedule up and the guy wasn't there, and he just you know he started joking around, and then it turned into this whole thing where he said, you know what, I, you know I got nothing going on. It's the middle of July. There's nothing happening in sports, and he's just going to be his goofy self. Right. And it turned into this whole thing where he was just destroying his uh, his staff. And uh, and then that led to me being fired to the point where his father, his late father, Tony Russo, who was uh, a contributor to the show for a while uh, in the first couple of years here, we've done a segment called Tony's Take, a sweetheart of a man, right, where he called up Chris and begged him not to fire me and thought he was it was legitimate. Uh, Phil Mushnick, who's a sports columnist for the New York Post, had written something where I had uh, allegedly gotten fired, and my in-laws, who live in Boca Raton, Florida, read it and called my wife in a panic. So that was another thing. I had guys on my staff who weren't sure, who would either text me or call me and say, if this is true, I'm devastated, what happened? Uh, meanwhile, the whole thing was a big joke. The one good thing that came out of it beyond that was that, you know, Howard Stern's people had found out about it. Right. And I was actually, and I had come to work that following Monday, and uh, Gary Delabate, Balabui himself, uh, came down to my office and said, yeah, do you want to come on the air and talk about this? I said, yeah. I said, I'll do it. I said, but just I don't want to mislead Howard, you know, because it really wasn't true. Right. He's like, no, it's all good. And uh, so I was I appeared on the Howard Stern show, which uh, to this day is obviously a big thrill. I mean, Artie was still there at the time. And, uh, you know, he had me on for about 15 minutes and it was great. Um so uh, yeah, it was it was all uh, a put on. I was never actually fired, but uh, that is a legendary story. If you go Google that uh, the Howard Stern thing and Steve Dory, that you'll you can hear that, and it's uh, it's actually pretty entertaining, <laughs> if I may say so myself. It was amazing, and I'll attach that in my show notes as well for people. I wish I had the rights to play "Coming to America" the song, so we can have that in the background, just like it was in and out of when he was making that rant. And mm. I know you and Chris have had your fair share of arguments. You've probably been fired more than once in a joking way, and I wanted to get your opinion and let people know the relationship that you have with Chris Russo, because I know what happens on air usually isn't as serious as some people make it out to be when you guys get into a discussion and it might get a little bit heated because of differences yeah. in opinions. I know you guys are incredibly close and I just wanted you to kind of speak on that and let people know what it's like to work with him and then what it's like when you guys are not on air as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you, yeah, we are good friends and sometimes that's hard to do to work with somebody um, as closely as we do. Now, you know, when he first started out, the quote unquote in control, you know, we worked, um, closer uh, at the time. There was a lot of day-to-day -day stuff we were really involved with. So it, it probably wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but you know, since he's been removed from a lot of those duties over the last five years, you know, it's lessened, um, with how much his involvement is. I mean, he is involved a little bit, but nowhere to the degree when he first started. Right. But there were times, uh, you know, we've had probably about three or four ugly, legitimate legitimate on-air battles, uh, you know, where it's, it may have started off with him joking around, but it got to the point where, you know, and I'm usually the straight man and I usually can take anything, but there are times every man has his limits, you know, and there are times where he really pissed the shit out of me. So, you know, I, I would let him have it. And, um, you know, we've had some battles over the years, but it, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I equate our relationship to really like brothers because, you know, it's like a family. Sometimes you're going to get along. Sometimes you're not. And uh, you know, we've had we've had some really, really dragged out. You know, I can say one was really one that I would like to forget. You know, where it got really, really bad. And you know, he may have been screaming at me as I walked out of the studio, and it, it got bad. But a lot of it, you know, was he like that that, that misplaced aggression type thing. He might have been 
pissed off about something else and decided to take it out on me, which right. he would admit to later. You know, and I, I'm not putting, I'm not saying all the fault was on him. I, I certainly, you know, I know he doesn't like uh, bad language, and I a couple of times purposely said, you know, some bad words on the air because I knew it would piss him off. Right. You know what I mean? So, so I'm at fault too. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the here's the truth, John, and I mean this with 100. percent Even though you know we have gotten to gotten had some battles, and again, there haven't been many, maybe three or four. Um, at the end of the day, he will always be like he'll always give you a hug and say he loves you, and that's truth. He's 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 a genuinely, genuinely a great person. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff he says or does or his opinions. Believe me, uh, on or off the air, but. Um, you know, we don't always see eye to eye. Uh, he's a pain in the ass sometimes with, you know, every time that uh, he has a complaint about something that he heard on the air. And, you know, sometimes he's joking, sometimes he's not. Um, but, you know, he, he, bottom line is he's a, he is a, he's a very good person. He is. And, uh, you know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy being with him. I do, honestly. You guys certainly have an amazing dynamic. And before I let you go, I wanted to just discuss a little bit on what you do on the air as well. On top of just doing the updates throughout his show and some discussions that you guys have throughout the three-hour show of Mad Dog Unleashed, you host the Dog Bites for an hour after that, which is a brief recap of the main points of his show. How did you guys decide that you wanted to do a show like that, where it's a little bit of a recap of some of the main things that Chris talked about during his show and then also allows you the opportunity to be your own host and to interact with fans as well as i said earlier you know i came over here as a talent before i came over here as a programmer so that idea of dog bites was not my idea it was actually uh scott greenstein the coo of the company um because we had we had had a meeting with scott and steve cohen uh senior vp and 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 dog after the first contract had expired and he was headed into the second phase, which was a three-year deal. And so we got into that and, you know, we just sat down and started talking about some things. And Scott, you know, so Chris's show originally, his first contract was a five-hour show, which is way too long. I mean, you know, he was he was used to being in terrestrial radio where you have 8,000 uh, breaks, you know, whether right. it's regular commercial breaks or traffic updates or sports updates or business reports or whatever. So you went from that to, uh, you know, three breaks an hour and uh, a lot of con 46 minutes of content in an hour, which is hard. And, you know, when you're trying to build a brand in national radio, you know, at the beginning, you know, we didn't have full lines of phone calls uh, all the time. You know what I mean? So you had to establish an audience and a following. So that it took some time, big transition for Chris, big transition for all of us. So the second contract, we, we trimmed his show down to three, which was much more manageable and really where most radio shows should be. I wouldn't want to show more than four hours to be honest with you. And if you see most formats, I like that. But at the time, uh, Scott Greenstein said, you know, I want a way where we can still keep the Mad Dog brand in a little longer because, they're, the, you know, the people are used to five hours and now he's down to three and he's off the air six o'clock Eastern. That's three o'clock West Coast. He said, you're, the audience is familiar with you for what you're, you're on with Chris every day. Why not extend it with you for an hour? So we can sort of replay, we can still get another taste of Chris with a little replay, and then you can add your own flair to it. So I thought of, I don't always agree with everybody in, in upper management with a lot of decisions, but and at the time I was like, wow, you know, wow, another hour added to my day on top of Sunday, you know, with eight hours of uh, on the air with the NFL, right? <laughs> and you know, my full time thing here, updates and, and programming the channel. And at first I was like, oh boy, do I really want to do this? I'm going to get home and you know even. But it was. It told me that they had some faith in me, with you know, and 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 knew how 
and at least I got the impression that I was important. And uh, so that's how that whole thing uh, evolved. So, you know, in addition to, so I'm on the air with him, obviously uh, doing updates at the bottom of the hour, 3.30, 4.30, and 5.30. And then I do that one-hour show, six to seven dog bites. Uh, only when Chris is on. When Chris is off, we don't do it. Right. Um, but, you know, but certainly plenty of times. And I do uh, some Saturday hosting as well occasionally, talking with Tori, which is thrown in there, about 25K a year. And I fill in for Chris too, which uh, on a lot of days. So that, that keeps me keeps me busy and, you know, it sort of keeps me um, attached to his audience, which which seems to have worked out well. Could you give a brief rundown on what a typical day is like for you? I know there's even times you're in the studio as early as the morning show, interacting with yeah. those guys on the morning men and doing sure. different things yeah. in your office. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually in between 9 and 9.30. Uh, you know, the morning men are on six to 10. So there are times where I'll pop on the air with them. Uh, and then I'll, I'll usually meet with those guys with Evan and Babs right after their show for at least a half hour. We sort of go over some things. And I, and I, you know, a lot of what I do is not hands on as much with a lot of the shows. Like my philosophy is, you know, I don't really like to micromanage that much. Um, right. and if I hear something I don't like during the course of the show, I never, unless it's urgent, will never call. Or, you know, I might call a producer and say, hey, I heard him say this. I think he, what he meant to say was this. Not so much an opinion, but a fact or whatever. Um, but I don't like to micromanage or call during the show when the guys are on because I always think about me, how I would have liked to have handled that as a talent if, you know, my superior was up my ass about something, you know, because it's going to stress me out even more. Now, right. again, there are times where you have to address something on the spot. But I generally don't like to do that. So, you know, the morning guys like to meet, so I'm fine with meeting, you know. And then, and um, and you've dealt with, with Evan Cohen and, and Mike Patrick um, with your show here, and then you've had experience with them. So uh, you know their style, and so I, I look forward to talking to them every day. Adam Shine's group, uh, who's on after that, 10 to 1. I'm not as hands-on with them on a day-to-day basis. I will meet every couple of weeks with that crew just to get an update. I'll be in touch with their producer. I'll talk to them constantly, but not, you know, not as much of a day-to-day meetings, you know? Right. So, you know, so you're involved with obviously the programming every day. You're involved with being on the air. I'm involved with sales and marketing. I'm involved with the traffic department, with uh, the scheduling of commercials. You're involved. You got your hands in a lot of different things. So it's, uh, you know, we like to use the expression here that Monday, becomes Thursday in about 10 minutes around here. And right. that's really how it feels like. It's just a day's fly by. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I'm usually out the door at 7 o'clock every night when there's dog bites. So that's, that's a pretty long day. But it's, it's fulfilling. It's exciting. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good place to earn a living, honestly. So these vacations that you're on now are definitely enjoyed. The last question yeah. I have for you, I know that your show, The Station, has greatly evolved and improved from when you guys first started in 2008. I'm sure you even saw that highlighted when we met at Falcon in New York City. There were a ton of people that probably approached you and said, what a great job you're doing, and even knew you by face, which is not as often in the radio industry, usually only known by voice. And things are changing in the world of radio. A lot of people are going to satellite, and there's a lot more opportunity to listen to shows now with different podcasts and all sorts of different advancements in vehicles and different things to have voices be heard a lot more than they used to be. I'm just curious to know what you hope to see as far as Mad Dog Sports Radio, Mad Dog Unleashed, and the station as a whole goes from here. Some of the things that you're hopeful to see in the future to keep the station moving forward and to keep doing 
as great of a job as you've been doing up until now. Well, you're too kind. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. It's in this line of work with satellite radio, you don't have an actual scorecard to, to really feel like in regular uh, terrestrial radio, you have ratings. Right. We don't have ratings in, in, in satellite. So, you know, people will ask me, well, how do you think the station's doing? And I know it sounds crazy, but it's like sort of a gut feel. The first couple of years, you know, I was trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. And it took me a really long time to get my feet on the ground and, and you know, learn from your – and I made a ton of mistakes, you know, just as far as learning how to deal with people and trying to figure it all out. You know, it took a long time. And it was sort of like you're thrown in the deep end of the pool, and it's like, okay, man, let's see what you can do. And yeah, you know, I, had, I think I had to prove myself to uh, upper management here that I could handle it. Uh, you know, they, they had no fears about what I could do on the air, but as far as keeping things together programming-wise, so there's a lot of hurdles, a lot of challenges. Um, but, you know, like I, I'm at a point now where I think we've arrived, you know. Like I, I just think that at the beginning, you know, you heard jokes about how Chris Russo went into the witness protection program, where is he? Nobody's heard from him. That stuff, you know, I, you'll hear that once in a while from like Boomer and Carton and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I know I know people out there know what we're doing now. And I think not only do they know what they're doing, but I think they think we're doing a good job. And, you know, objectively, I don't know how you don't look at our lineup and say, you know what, that's pretty damn good, you know. Right. And um, I think what I try to what I try to achieve here and what we're trying to do is I like being different. I like being edgy. I like the fact that we can do things that other people can't. You know, there are various challenges that we encounter all the time. But um, I would say uh, just keep moving forward in that direction. And, you know, with the success of the morning show, because, you know, let, let's be honest, right? We have a lineup here. We have Stephen A. Smith, who's pretty established. Adam Shine, who's pretty established in his own right, you know, uh, obviously Mad Dog. And when you can when you can put some guys on the maps that uh, on the map that maybe were not known, and you know that you've you've got a successful product like we've developed with the Morning Men, there's no better feeling. So you really you don't want to rest on your laurels. You know it sounds like I'm being a coach here, but you you know you don't want to sit back and just be like, okay, we've arrived. You got to feel like you can always get better, and there are so many things we can do, and you don't want to become stale. And I'd love to see us uh, expand programming even more, you know, be a 24-7 operation. Of course, you know, I'm not the one that's spending the money, so right. that, that may not happen. But there, I think there are a lot of things we can do and, uh, you know, and keep learning and keep getting better. I know it sounds like a cliche, but that's really that, that's being the, that's honestly the truth. So when Mike Francesa's contract comes up next year, are you going to try to bring him on and get the band back together with Chris? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I... I've learned that you never say never in this business, but I can pretty much tell you with almost 100% confidence that that probably will not happen. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but look, I I think it was great that they got together for a while. Uh, it was a special night there at Radio City, and uh, every time they get together, it's like they you know they haven't they don't miss a beat. Right. And you could turn the clock back, but that's a special thing, and um, that I don't think you can duplicate. You know, uh, and they're, they're at points in their career now where. You know, they're going to probably still do their own thing. And, you know, they're not getting any younger and factor all those things in. You know what I mean? Talk about putting yourself on the map. A program director bringing Mike Francesa to Sirius XM, man. <laughs> You'd really yeah. have made it then. So since you don't have any Twitter or Facebook or any influence on social media, can you just give the listeners a brief rundown on where they can hear you on Mad Dog Sports Radio, not only on Chris's show and your show, but on the weekends as sure. well coming up? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I eventually should get on Twitter. I mean, my whole family is bugging me on that. I've, I've, I have some reasons why I don't want to, but, you know, I may lose that battle eventually. But, yeah, um, obviously on Mad Dog, I'm uh, heard every day on his program, 3.30, 4.30, 5.30 generally, a uh, host of Dog Bites, 6 to 7 Eastern time. Uh, and you can hear me on NFL radio during the season, regular season of the NFL only for 17 Sundays. Channel 88, uh, noon to 8 p.m. Eastern time, uh, hosting what basically that's uh, called the Sunday Drive. And people who aren't familiar with it, it's basically a radio version of the Red Zone, which you get on DirecTV. And that's basically what it is. We have the uh, rights to every game, so we fly in and out of games and take listeners to uh, the games at the critical points. We have guests on after the show, uh, after the games, reporters at every site. You know, So it's, it's like a fast-paced uh, eight-hour marathon every right. Sunday. All right, Steve. Well, I have to thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure getting to know a little bit more about what you've been through in your radio career and some of the different things you're doing now for Mad Dog Sports Radio. I appreciate you taking some time to speak with me on your vacation. Thank you again for taking a couple minutes and peeling back the curtain on some of the things you've been able to do throughout your career. Really enjoyed it, John. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this week's show on SportsRadioAmerica.com and find this week's show and all previous shows on my website at LondonBridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at LondonBridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund Under Artists. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Feel free to call or text into the show at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. You can also call the Sports Radio America new fan call-in line every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at 888-444-0570. Feel free to contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you might just be featured in next week's show. You can also subscribe to the Bridge newsletter by visiting londonbridge.com email, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes info about the next show and who the featured guest might be. On the next installment of The Bridge, plenty to get to in the world of sports. We'll hit on the latest news in the National Football League, take a look at what's going on in the playoff race in Major League Baseball, and whatever else I might happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.